Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Allison Encero, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Women in the United States face maternal mortality risks not seen in other countries, and for women on Medicaid, the risks are even higher, especially so when the patient is a woman of color. Maternal mortality has risen threefold over the past 30 years, and Black women and American Indian and Alaskan Native women are three to four times more likely to die of pregnancy-related causes than white women, regardless of socioeconomic status. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we're speaking with Amy Dirk-Stevens, an Executive Vice President of Avia Health Innovation, about their latest project, which is convening 30 large health systems to address this issue through innovative digital solutions and new care models in Medicaid. Amy, welcome to the podcast today. Good morning. Thank you. Why did the Medicaid Transformation Project decide to tackle the issue of maternal mortality as its next major initiative? We saw that in the United States, there was a sadly quietly developing trend that was going unnoticed. Uh, First of all, 50% of all births in America are covered by Medicaid. So every other child born in America is going to be um, covered by the federal government for their care and be born into that for their delivery of health. But then secondly, we saw that there is an increasing risk of women not just having issues, clinical issues during their pregnancy or immediately after, but an actual increase in the death rate. And when we looked into that, we saw that that rate was significantly higher in women of color and felt that this was just not getting the attention it so needed. And how many health systems do you have involved in this initiative at this moment? We have 29 of the nation's leading health systems, um, which in total cover uh, 375 plus hospitals and 28 states. So it provides a significant coverage of the United States. And in total, these health systems cover almost 50% of the area where you would see Medicaid beneficiaries living. Do the health systems see a difference in terms of the types of problems that women and families have, depending on whether they live in a rural versus urban area? We do see some really different disparities and just plain structural issues for women um, based on geography, based on socioeconomic status, and also just pure access to care. So both rural and urban um, have, have access to care issues. One, because they're highly impacted in urban areas and there is often a tilt Um, towards neighborhoods that have higher socioeconomic status where people tend to put physician offices and other access to care. And in the urban, I'm sorry, the rural areas, what you see is is a pure absence of care and you see different types of, of providers providing that care. So you may see more primary care doctors, for instance, delivering babies. It was that disparity Um, of access and then also 
the ability to care for the mother in between appointments and before and before conception and after birth that made the application of new care models, particularly those supported by digital solutions, so ripe and perfect fit for taking care of these populations. You actually jumped to a little bit of my next question. I wanted to ask about some of the most innovative approaches that health systems are using to lower maternal mortality. We see that there's five major areas they're acting in and have acted in some of the fastest respects that we've seen health systems pick up and really start to work on new areas. Those five trends are uh, health systems looking at safety and spotting concerns, both in the labor and delivery period, as well as pre-conception and definitely after the delivery. We see that they're looking for additional access or touch points with the maternal mom as well as the mom after baby is born. We see that they're looking for new types of collaboration, which goes to, to some of these access issues as well with different types of care providers like doulas and, and midwives and community health workers. And then we also see them working on issues related to the cost of care um, so that resources can be redeployed in other ways. The cost of care, for instance, using digital navigation to help the woman so that she's more likely to um, have preterm conditions identified early means that she's more likely to have a healthy full-term baby. She's more likely to be healthy. And so that baby um, has less of a chance of ending up needing neonatal intensive care unit, jaundice follow-up, um, or the mom herself has issues spotted before discharge or, or at least is being watched much more heavily post-discharge. What are some of the digital touch points that you mentioned? Is it women checking in on their phones or some other way? We see the most effective ones are ones that use um, a combination of, of care models. So for instance, a community health worker who is familiar with a local uh, neighborhood with its local customs and habits and what those um, community members need may be doing house visits, for instance, preterm but they will have an app that guides them to women who have been checking in remotely with certain types of questions that may alert them to issues. They may evidence a need for food, housing, even safety concerns. Um, we also see applications that can be, for instance, loaded on a cell phone where a physician will load that, help the patient load that and then have at their ready, a guide electronically that helps walk them through their pregnancy. There are many commercial applications that are being brought into the clinical space where um, you may have been watching your ovulation cycle, for instance, um, attempting to get pregnant, and then that application is now um, taking on new functions with, with an application like Ovia, for instance, that then follows that mother through every week of the pregnancy. But what's different is it is now that application and others can now be connected directly into the physician office 
so that if certain questions are answered that raise risk concerns such as increased weight or other types of physical conditions that are changing that the mother may want to alert the office to, they now have the opportunity to see those much faster and respond to them. We also see more traditional true clinical devices being put into the home with a um, maternal mother, such as remote monitoring units. And we see upwards of 30% reduction in preterm births um, and improvement in many cases, Medicaid moms tend to see a doctor far less frequently than they should over the course of their pregnancy. We tend to see upwards of a doubling of their physician appointments, and each of those is an opportunity to better assess both the baby's health as well as the mother's health. What types of collaborations are taking place among different types of providers or specialists if a pregnancy is determined to be high risk as a result of you know, all of this care and monitoring? We see some really interesting models in um, innovative health systems like Providence, St. Joseph Health, and Boston Medical Center. Boston makes a great example where they have a team-based care model where they have combined nurse midwives, family physicians, and obstetricians together in a group setting and are able to take each of those specialties, for instance, nurse midwives, um, are not only very involved with, with babies and, and the delivery of babies. In fact, uh, my oldest son was delivered by a nurse midwife um, in the Georgia area, but they are also trained to take care of the mother holistically. So they are very skilled at all things um, female. So they can help with everything from gyne post-care gynecological issues, um, conception issues, and um, get them to resources that will help them be better uh, mothers and also make sure that their recovery goes well. So in other countries, um, I believe that there are often home visits after a birth for maybe as long as six weeks, I think, for instance, in, in the United Kingdom. I could be wrong, but in this country, that's not typically the case. Is that happening in this program? In this program, I'm not sure if they are doing the home visits, but we definitely see it in the community health worker programs. And we see one of the real successes of this program has been um, the number of health systems that are now acting and, and seriously um, looking at expanding or building for the first time community health workers in the, with the opportunity to go into those um, homes both before the pregnancy um, you know, ends in a birth as well as post-birth. And in fact, we would love to see increased coverage for that going far beyond the traditional 60 days um, that Medicare cur currently uses. Some of these health systems have taken it upon themselves to go ahead and extend those um, visits and those touch points um, well beyond just one or two months post-delivery. The digital tools really help with that too, because if you have a limited supply of community health workers, for them to be deployed physically in the home settings where they are most needed, but still be able to text, even have uh, virtual visits with these uh, mothers and these young families, 
really extends the capacity of each individual community health worker, or um, in some cases, care providers like um, the actual OBGYNs or the nurse midwives or doulas. Are there specific risks uh, postpartum for women that could lead to a death that most people don't know about? One of the really interesting insights that we've uh, seen is how critical the what some people call the fourth trimester, <laughs> kind of a, a play on words there, but a really important one is this concept that pregnancy is a process that extends well beyond the delivery. And we're seeing that nearly 50% of, of the mother mortalities, the deaths are actually occurring after the baby is born. Um, there is potentially just a misconception that it's either during the birth or leading up to the birth. But uh, many of these involve things like um, hemorrhaging, hypertension, infection, and that they aren't caught. Oftentimes, a lot of the attention is being placed on the baby, which we certainly love, um, but that mother also has needs, and particularly if it's a mother that has been um, under-supported with healthcare, isn't used to seeing a physician, may not know what to really be expecting or what, what shouldn't feel right um, after having a baby, um, or just pushes it off because she needs to get to work. She needs to take care of that baby. She's got other children in the home. And we find that it goes far too long. And so programs both that are based on humans like, like community health workers, but that are supported with digital um, to help them navigate and stay in touch afterwards where they can literally put in certain parameters of their health. They can, they can be discharged with a blood pressure cuff that can remotely monitor how their heart is functioning. These types of support services we believe are really critical and we see that they are disproportionately happening in communities of color or vulnerable communities like rural where there isn't nearly as much accident access or ease of getting care. Is there any specific training that's being provided to healthcare workers in terms of addressing issues like implicit bias? If a woman or a woman of color or someone who's vulnerable says after the birth, there's something that's just not right. And oftentimes perhaps that might ordinarily be dismissed. So is there something that's happening to basically train providers to listen closely to a patient when they say that something isn't right? Does that play a role? Yes, you've picked up on such an important issue. Um, and there's kind of two ways to address that. The community health worker program, for instance, or these doula programs are another example. By converting those programs from some that have been much more homegrown to evidence-based programs that actually have protocols and training. For instance, there's a program called IMPACT um, that came out of UPenn, and they developed a, an evidence-based, clinically supported approach um, so that these community health workers really have training um, they are not clinicians, but they're specifically looking for signs and indications that have been previously potentially missed. The other is digital solutions. 
because if a blood pressure changes, if, if weight fluctuations are happening, if a certain set of, of questions that the mother is addressing relative to things um, like spotting and hemorrhaging, uh, those, those can take away or at least reduce the opportunity for bias because you really do see the data where you see this woman has, you know, for three days in a row, put in these certain vital signs and the, the overlying interpretation um, is less important uh, and the data can start to show what's really happening clinically with the woman. So there's a lot of promise in both having these formalized evidence-based embedded providers, as well as having the opportunity to use data in a different way that can really look at what's actually happening versus interpretations of what a woman might be saying. I think that's really key for so many situations, especially here. And yeah. is there a, a numerical goal or a statistical goal that the Medicaid Transformation Project wants to achieve in terms of reduction of maternal mortality? You know, right now we are, we've got about 13 key uh, metrics that we've been tracking. Um, or there were about, sadly, there were about 45 that we originally looked at that were really important to measure. A couple of the ones that we have settled on now and we're getting baselines so that we can start to see if the needle moves on them. Um, but they range everything from timeliness of prenatal care, uh, the percent of postpartum care received, the type of screenings that these women have had for um, hypertension and preeclampsia. Have there been drug use treatments offered for those that may have substance use disorder? critical one related to screening and initiation of care for depression. We're looking at um, cesarean sections, preterm birth, avoidable hospitalizations, and then all the way through uh, maternal mortality and infant mortality. So there's a wide range of them and each health system and really even each region in, in certain health systems have very different um, statistics of where they sit. But in total, we know that uh, there's the opportunity to affect a huge percent, like we said, 50% of all babies born. And one in five Americans are covered by Medicaid, so that also tells you how many uh, mothers as well. What else do you want people to know about this project or health systems? What we'd love people to know is that you really can take uh, programs that have proven to have success maybe locally, uh, uh, using the community health worker program as, as an example, and where it has been just simply hard to scale, where you might have needed 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 community health workers in just one uh, community or one area. The ability to add digital lets you scale really good models into something that can then go across an entire health system, across an entire state, and affect so many more, in this case, mothers and babies, giving them a chance to really improve their outcomes. The other is that you can literally do new things that we couldn't do before. So for instance, in the area of safety, right now, when a woman goes into labor, there are a significant number of 
systems that she becomes hooked up to that are measuring all types of, of vital signs and signals from her body and the babies. And those, all of those machines um, need an orchestra conductor that lets you translate this um, large amount of data that is coming at the nurse, at the midwife, at the OBGYN doing the delivery. And the ability now to overlay a translator that picks out the most important and significant risk signals. Two examples of that are perigen and risk LD. They have been able uh, to reduce in, in one health system, for instance, using one of those digital solutions, they've been able to reduce serious safety events by 92% of women in the, those hours of laboring, um, where prior that just wasn't possible. The other example of, of you know, what's just not possible before are these uh, digital solutions that can accompany the mother pre or post delivery and spot issues that, that weren't being seen before because there was um, no ability for physician's office, for instance, to call every mother and check in on them every day. But with a digital solution, you have the opportunity to put, you know, right on a, on a phone, this, this support system that follows that mother where she can check in and you can start to see the need for which patient should come into the hospi or hospital or hopefully just the physician office quickly and which can have some additional time and space. We see even um, systems like that doing things like reducing missed prenatal appointments by 35%. That's, that's a third of all um, visits that can now be um, supported and hopefully produce the opportunity to have that woman come in and be seen. Um, and we see an increase in the postpartum visits as well, which is that very risky fourth trimester that we talked about. So having the opportunity to do truly new types of care, both that improve safety and that improve the full uh, duration of the, of the maternal experience are things that just simply weren't available without these digital supports. And when you talk about digital tools, you know, the systems that are taking everything that's happening, say, in the delivery room and, and synthesizing it, is that an artificial intelligence type tool? Yes, in the, in the case of what's now um, available, this is the, the beauty of computing powder, power. They're able to overlay a series of, of algorithms or mathematics on top of these different existing signals that they get from, for instance, a fetal heart monitor, the mother's heart rate monitor. And there can be very subtle changes that as uh, clinicians change out shifts as they're going between two or three labor and delivery rooms, um, working with a couple mo uh, birthing moms at the same time. Very subtle shifts may be picked up just a little bit later um, than they need to be when it's the human eye trying to remember and watch those trends. But if you have an intelligent translation sitting on top of them, they can catch those much earlier and send the alerts. They can also um, try to tone down false alerts, if you will, so that you really are paying attention to the alerts that matter the most. And they're able to see 
um, those changes and predict which of the women, and with a great degree of accuracy, um, which of those maternal laboring moms will need the most attention and how quickly. Um, so if, for instance, a C-section did become necessary, that could happen more quickly. Um, and oftentimes, um, just a matter of minutes can make the difference uh, for both the mom and the baby. That system that you spoke of, I think, in Boston, is there a chance that that would become the standard of care everywhere, that that's what this program would eventually lead to, say, in commercial populations? We would love to see, and I know many of our health systems are looking really heavy at these, these uh, collaborative care models, as we call them, and looking at ways to do team-based care. The, we recently had uh, some training for the health systems on new ways of, of care being able to be reimbursed, which is part of, of what happens with trying to figure out how they can um, deliver a different type of care. It also just requires a model where, where one health system will share with another, here's how we were able to integrate nurse midwives, primary care doctors, and OBGYNs all into one setting. Some care providers that aren't typically you know, in the same building together, team, team delivering care. And once you have somebody who's sort of figured out that recipe one of the real powers inside of this Medicaid transformation project is the group sharing. We've had over 30 different examples where health systems have said, hey, I've figured out a really interesting care model. I've figured out how to use doulas in ways that we haven't before. I've figured out how to do group sessions for mothers, literally group clinic visits for mothers so that when they come into the doctor, even just for a well exam as they're pregnant, um, there is real power if they have that exam, clearly the clinical exam by themselves, but then have the rest of the visit with other moms as they are um, going through the pregnancy process. They've, we've seen um, some statistics between 20 to 30% reduction in preterm birth um, because these moms are sharing their experiences, they, they often will give the opportunity for the clinician to hear things that the mother may not have even thought, wow, that's happening in my own body, or I didn't know I, this should not be happening, and they are able to coach each other. Those types of models often have to have a reimbursement change with them, but for instance, that model, there are there's the opportunity for states to change what's covered underneath their managed Medicaid plans. And so health systems can go to states and say, the neighboring state covers this, here's how they do it, here's the recipe of what that would need to look like, and quickly accelerate the access to having uh, those models be reimbursed and proving their efficacy so that um, that reimbursement can come along. So you mentioned sharing, what are the next steps for this project, more, more of this kind of knowledge transfer? What we're seeing is, is right now, many of these health systems are in the discovery phase where they're looking at which of the care models um, and priorities are most important. And some health systems in specifically regions or geographies for them, they may see that improving safety in the actual labor and delivery is of highest priority just given 
where their hospitals may be experiencing those pain points. For others, it may be that they know that, that there are access issues and that's where they want to address. Um, or there may be um, behavioral social risks that they feel are really important. So right now what they are looking at is identifying which of these priorities in the safety, access, experience, collaboration, and cost categories, and then creating um, plans, roadmaps to which solutions are best tailored to do that. So for instance, if they want to have this longevity of touch points across um, taking care of the mom, they may be looking at a solution like baby scripts or wildflower or docent um, are examples of solutions that do that. And then they are putting together um, the business plans and the clinical plans that will allow them to act. We have seen um, right now, again, in, in, great, in great rapidity for, for traditional health systems, we've seen um, that these health systems already, I think there's, there's almost 20 that are already in fast progress as these health systems are working to bring them forward. So this is really a bottom-up kind of approach. It's not some overarching agency saying you must do this. It's really it is. From it, it is. It's coming, you know, we, one of the reasons for the Medicaid transformation project is, uh, you know, Medicaid has been around for a very long time. <laughs> um, right. And while there's been tremendous improvements, in fact, one of the primary um, advisors and, and active parts of this project is the uh, former head of Medicaid. She, she knows where some of these really important touch points are and gaps in care are. And health systems can wait for big structural changes so that reimbursement follows or incentives or other types of programs by the government. Or they can say, look, we know there are care delivery model changes and digital solutions that could be applied right now. And if we try it together, if five of us, if 10 of us deploy, for instance, a behavioral health tool to help uh, mothers with a variety of behavioral health therapies, and we see health systems acting in that space, for instance, if we try, if five or six of us try this together, we can start to show that it works in a variety of different settings, under different state regulations, under different types of health systems and care providers. And when you do that, you can start to prove its scalability, which means it can become a new standard of care. It also um, stabilizes those um, potentially younger digital solutions so that they become really strong platforms that the technology can survive and move forward and grow with the outcomes that they are able to produce. And the more that tests them and use them, um, the more we're able to prove these outcomes, not just at three or five or a hundred um, hospitals, but at, you know, in, in the thousand scale, which turns into literally the millions when it comes to covering these Medicaid lives. Well, this is really fascinating, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Stay tuned for our next big body of work, which is substance use disorder. And in that piece of work, we have um, a new set of entrants, which are payers, insurers, who are going to be joining us because this is such 
a pressing need within not just Medicaid, but across the nation. And is that starting in 2020? It's actually starting in about three and a half weeks, um, early December. Certainly a huge body of work has, has been um, developed leading into it, but we will be launching it so that we, have, and we have some, some very notable figures, both political as well as clinical, who will be helping us do that because this is uh, such a pressing problem across the United States and it affects um, kind of every walk of life. Um, and it certainly affects the, the um, maternal moms and the likelihood and opportunity for those babies to be born into the best environment. Interesting. Well, well, we'll follow up with you then. That sounds great. Okay, take care. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, write us at info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.